Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. We have The Rock. <laughs> yeah, this, I've been looking forward to this since uh, we, we, we always planned on doing this episode, but it took us a lot longer to get to it or not. And I'm so happy that Rock's going to join us. But you know, I want to just kind of set this up just a little bit. So, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast a few times. You know, I used to be with Spotfire and and back in the early days. And we had Laura on, I don't know what, four or five weeks ago, just kind of talking about how it wasn't that slam dunk that it is now. You know, uh, now seems like Spotfire or some competitor's Spotfire, which there are now, mm-hmm. is in basically every oil and gas company. And Back in 2000, when I started and 2001, it was hard, absolutely hard to find budget to kind of get it in place. And it wasn't a slam dunk that we were going to kind of stick around in kind of oil and gas. And so what we did today, we thought it'd be kind of fun just talk about the early days of Spotfire. A lot of our listeners are familiar with it or the competitors or kind of know about it. Thought it'd be fun just to kind of talk about those early days. And so we have... Uh, uh, Rock Gnadovich, it's a tough name to say, but one of the coolest names in all of business. Oh, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. So we got Rock. He was president of Spotfire when I started for sure, and I guess before then, and wrote it all the way out into 2014, I guess. So, Rock, really, uh, really enjoy the fact that you're going to be on here. Glad to have you on. Hey, Tim and, Tim and Jeremy, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. And, and uh, you know, Tim, always happy to talk about Spotfire. You know, the, uh, <laughs> There was a, a Harvard case study that was done out in, in the really early years, and they're still teaching it. So I was actually at the business school at Northeastern um, maybe just a year ago when they when they were still teaching it at the at the business school and came in and you sort of you know get the business school students to speculate on what they think happened and I get to tell them what actually happened. So <laughs> nice. <laughs> So why don't we start, let's get a little bit of background on you, Rock, uh, just to level set everybody. I know we went over a little bit before the podcast, but you know, what's your background? How'd you find your way to uh, the early days of Spotfire? Yeah, so um, we were just talking, I went, to, I went to college in Connecticut at Wesley and I was a philosophy major, philosophy and history major. So one of the things that happened to me in, it, at Spot, once I got to Spotfire is they did a couple of articles about liberal arts students that made their way into technology. And it, it was like coming out of the closet for liberal arts students. I just I got like 150 <laughs> phone calls or messages saying, you know, somebody's finally speaking for us. And I, it wasn't really a cause for me, but, you know, that's what happened. Um, you know, I was living in the Boston area, you know, back in late 70s uh, is when I joined my first technology company and came up uh, through sort of the CAD CAM companies and then also through what was called product data management. Um, and you know, that was my technology background. So the first company I joined was back in 1978, was called Applicon. And Applicon did uh, computer-aided design and mechanical as well as electronic and even VLSI design all in one company. Uh, they, they developed their own hardware. Uh, I, I can really age myself here. <laughs> I can remember we sold 300 megabyte discs, discs that look like washing machines for 30 grand. Wow. And, I love and that. dumb, dumb color terminals for 70 grand each. And everybody wanted them. 
So, I mean, it was a very, very successful company. Um, you know, was there for a while and then, and then, you know, moved on to a couple of other CAD CAM companies that we can talk about if you want, but then, you know, got the, always had sort of the entrepreneurial, you know, bug and, and, uh, had done that even before I got into technology, but we, uh, created a joint venture at, at, uh, when I was at SDRC, which was a real prominent, uh, CAD CAM company. And we created a, vo- a joint venture in product data management and then, the guys that did that with with me, we we spun out and created a company called Windchill, which was the first enterprise Java-based application ever. Uh, wow, that's cool. Yeah, and and uh, that that then that company was then acquired by Parametric Technology. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about Christopher today, but uh, the guy that I work with at Windchill and at the prior joint venture, his name is Jim Heppelman. And Jim was very much like Christopher. Uh, so the kind of guy that were, you could put him in front of investors, you can put him in front of customers, you could put him, you know, just, you know, sort of a regular guy within the company and, and he would be articulate and capable of handling anything. The two smartest guys I ever, I ever worked with for sure. And Jim is now and has been for a long time the CEO of Parametric Technology. So, you know, uh, both of these guys, you know, I, I, I was a CEO of Winchill and, and then the president of Spotfire, but I believe me, I played second fiddle to both of these guys. They were just wicked smart and, uh, wicked, uh, very, very capable, wicked, very, very wicked smart. Guys. There's the Boston came out right there. Could, he couldn't wicked hold it back. <laughs> wicked smart. No, this is, this is awesome. So I didn't realize, Tim, you brought on the, the head honcho over here. Look at you, man. Um, so I want to talk about the the very early days of mm-hmm. Spotfire. We're talking late 90s, early 2000s. What were the first industries that you guys decided to go into with the, with the initial build of your application? And where did oil and gas fit in uh, in that time frame? Sure. So I joined in, I met Christopher in very early 1996. Um, he, he kept giving me things to do. And so you know, I, I found myself like in a week spending 20 hours doing stuff that Christopher kept telling me to do. And I said, you know, hey, it's time to get paid for this, maybe. And uh, <laughs> then I got invited to actually go to a board meeting in Sweden. The development or, you know, organization obviously was in Sweden and uh, uh, went to a, a, a board meeting there even before I was an employee. And. Talk to the, you know, they had all of the salespeople, you know, had, had been there. I mean, at that point, there were maybe four, there were four of us in Boston and there were less than a dozen in Sweden. That was the company in 1996. Wow. And the sales strategy, and there was a, there was a head of sales at the time. And the sales strategy was sell it to any warm body, you know, anywhere you could. <laughs> and so yeah. we were basically... You know, there were maybe, I don't know, 20 customers or something like that, but there wasn't a single replication of a single, you know, of a customer in a doing even the same application. And well, I, so the, the demo there, if I remember one of the first demos was actually mining the movie database, IMDB, yeah. wasn't that? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it was crazy. And, and, you know, the value proposition there was very, very low. So there was no control over the pricing. And I literally had to tell, I told Christopher, I said, look, I will join, but, but the sales executives got to go. We, we, you know, great, nice guy, you know, one of the founders, 
but we did not have the same you know, philosophy or strategy around around that. And uh, it was really at that point where I said, look, where do we have most traction? AstraZeneca, which is obviously in the news right now because of the oh, virus, time. Yeah. already a customer. And, and there were a couple other sort of opportunities within the pharmaceutical business. And I, you know, it, my background was more industry enterprise software. And we, we literally like added a zero to this, to the list price and, and said only life sciences deals were going to be commissionable. And, huh. and what we ended up doing is we made a chart that lived in both Boston and, and also, also in Gothenburg of the top 20 pharmaceutical companies. And we knocked them off in 18 months. And the, the key to that was, was to market to a vertical, but develop for the horizontal. That was really what was critical for this. Cause you, you, we absolutely knew going in that this was going to go all over the place, but it was a matter of how are we going to establish ourselves and execute. And the key uh, to the pharmaceutical business was the ability to relate data from any source with chemical structures. That was really the big, the big connection. So I'll tell you a quick story about, about one of our first visits to a pharmaceutical, you know, executive, you know, is we went and I, I, I want to say that this, I'm not going to remember exactly. I want to say it was Bristol Myers, but there was a guy that was in charge of, of, of high throughput screening. And uh, he, you know, we were there to sort of talk to him about this potential new technology. We went into his office and he had a, a database report. Remember the old database reports with the, you know, uh, like a basically stack of paper. And, yep. and then he had images of chemical structures pasted to his wall. And he was putting post-it notes on the chemical structure and then on the <laughs> database report. And I, I literally, he was on his hands and knees. And in his office with this database report, and I lifted him up. I said, you're going to love what you're going to see today. Wow. <laughs> this is really going to help you. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Did you, you closed that deal, right? We, we absolutely closed that deal. And, and that's honestly, you know, not only focusing on pharmaceutical, but focusing then initially on high throughput screening and chemistry. Um, there were lots of really interesting opportunities there. And, and every, you know, Tim, you know, this, the, no matter who you ever showed the product to, no matter what the industry was, they loved the product. You know, it was a uh, just a, a tremendously engaging piece. Very of easy to get, you know, a scientist, an engineer excited at that time, especially. You know, the only competition were graphs and Excel. That's, a, that's it was a very idea. easy to get people excited. And at that time, I mean, my recollection at that time, Spotfire was still a you have your own spreadsheet, throw the numbers into Spotfire and start going. That was, there was no, hey, let's go attach it to all these other databases and kind of go go with it. We actually had that capability. It was actually hard to find in some cases that where the customers had that capability, you know, so, but there, but there were, you know, one of the advantages we had in, in pharmaceutical, and, and here's where I do give them a lot of credit. They were way behind in, on the implementation of technology but they had, a, you know, people like chem informatics people or bioinformatics people where they understood early on where they linked their IT organizations with their their domain experts. 
And, and that was critical because the, uh, so, so the head of chem, you know, the head of chemistry had their chem informatics team that was embedded in the organization. And that, that helped the adoption to be, be really fast and very quick. Uh, you didn't always find that. We, for example, we did not find that in, in oil and gas when we initially, you know, worked there. So, Rock, I'm curious because now when I think of Spotfire, or if I were to even Google Spotfire, other things would come up like Tableau, Alteryx, Power BI, and a myriad of other BI, deep dive analytics applications. When did you start to see real competition for Spotfire and, and who was it? That's a, it's a good question. Uh, the competition was in the early days was were very specific to the industries. There, there were some other things that you wouldn't even have heard of now. Uh, there really was not any kind of a broad, other than Excel, as Tim points out, no, there was no broad-based analytics application that cut across multiple industries. Uh, we saw Tableau, Tim, I don't know, you may remember better. I mean, somewhere. Yeah, it was, what, 05 maybe when we started seeing yeah. it? Yeah, so we were we were way into it into this by the time they came came out and and obviously you know when you start talking about you know being into the you know two thousand five two thousand ten you you know you had a you had a different capability there around the internet to deploy and you know whereas we we simply we absolutely didn't have that in the you know in, as we started in nineteen ninety six. And Tableau, we, we really had no issue competing with Tableau in the industries where we were dominant. And, and we had already sort of at that point established, you know, broad installed bases in, in most of those accounts. Tableau was sort of picking up, you know, they were coming at the industry from the bottoms up, which, you know, uh, great respect to them. It's, they had a fantastic product and a very interesting sales model. And, and, you know, there, there is the place where the industry model, you know, sort of, you know, did work against us to some extent. We had a very high price point. We had a high value, value add. We were focusing more on Fortune 200 type accounts, uh, global 500 accounts, if you wanted to say it that way. And, uh, you know, Tableau really sort of developed their business bottoms up. So let me... Let me take you back because this is an oil and gas podcast. So I do want to go back to those days. So I, when I came in December 2000 and yeah, there was what one oil and gas client, uh, Anadarko at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And that was when you, and you guys started to, Hey, this is, is this going to be an industry that we're going to go focus on? So there was pharmaceuticals, there was the chemical industry, uh, and I, maybe there were a couple others. I recollect that it was a very difficult decision to go into oil and gas. I think one, maybe it was at the time still even then being considered a dirty kind of industry. And do we want to go there? Uh, and then, yeah, you know, I just want to kind of understand how close was it to never launching? You know, I think, uh, you know, so uh, what we liked about the industry a lot you know, so the, the industry characteristics were, uh, you know, you had you had a number of a, a large concentration of, of big accounts in in a single geographic area. 
Yeah. So that was really a, you know, that was a, a big deal for us. Um, there, and then we, you know, what we were looking for there was what's that clear, you know, that sort of killer value proposition. And when we initially went in, we really thought it was going to be a chem engineering application. And then I think as we got in there more and more and more, we realized that, that, you know, exploration was really where all the money was and where all the value was. Yep. And then, you know, the big, the big, uh, and Tim, I mean, you know this yourself, you were one of the big proponents here is, you know, in the same way in pharmaceutical, when the, when we present to them and they'd say, well, where are the, where are the chem structures? And we'd say, okay, <laughs> when we went into, you know, exploration in oil and gas, it was like, where are the maps? You know, we can't do yeah. anything without the maps and maps obviously didn't have anything to do with chemical engineering. So, so that was a big that was, I think, a, a major step for us where we didn't anticipate going into exploration and, and production when we initially went in. And, and we discovered then that that was really the place that was the, you know, the, the key area to penetrate. And I think once we made that decision, then, then there was no question that we were going to you know, go deeper into the industry. And they were, you know, they were perfect accounts for us to do that work in. You know, one of the problems we had back in those days was, in my, and again, I'm coming at this from a very narrow, I'm oil, I am the oil and gas guy. And we had, you know, 50 pharmaceutical guys running around, Brian Prather and those guys, super smart dudes, you know, could tell me what ANOVA was and, you know, high throughput screening and all these cool things. But there was always very specific places to point Spotfire at the time. Mm -hmm. Hey, you are Bristol Myers. Here's your high throughput screening application. So they were, and the, the term going around spot for all the time was the killer app. Mm. So they were, always asking, <laughs> yeah. they were always asking me, you know, what is the oil and gas killer app? And I'm like, the killer app is they have so much data to look at. Wow. That is actually the killer app is they need to just digest just large amounts of data all the time. And it needs to be related to geography or, to, you know, to geology, which is spatial and all those things. So anyway, so it was, that was actually one of the big problems that we had early on is what is a killer app? Do you go talk to the geochemist? Do you go talk to the geologist? Do you go talk to the production engineer, the VP of ops? So anyway, it was a, that was a big challenge in those early days was just figuring out who do you go talk to and what is that killer app? Yeah. You know, sorry, Rock, just wanted to jump in real sure, quick on that. I could see the data cleanliness. How much do we trust our data being a challenge at Tim and rock? Did you guys see that? Because you can do all these magnificent visualizations and pull from various different databases, but I would guess someone says, well, I'm not sure where should we pull this data from? Do I trust this data? Is this the right source? How would you guys work through that? Cause in some ways I almost so, see it as Spotfire helped force data management and data cleanliness almost sort of backwards, right? We've got our visualization. Wait, is our data good? Maybe we should look at our data. But I'm curious, is that something you received some pushback on, uh, it, you know, as you were evangelizing in oil and gas? I, I think, I think you, you made the right point there. Is that it actually became an application in and of itself. I mean, there, were, there would be people that would just say, look, let's get the data in Spotfire first to see if, we, if the data is if we if trust it valid if the data is clean and you know you could immediately see outliers that were suspect 
and and just filter those out in order to get a, a better data set to just work with. You know, you weren't necessarily going to use that to to go back in and cleanse a database, but you, in terms of your working data, you could just eliminate that stuff immediately and go to work. So I think no matter where we were, that was an advantage. Um, and but to going back to Tim's point that you know the killer app for for me was was about the idea of a of an app that could be replicated across across companies you know so so that was the thing that we that was great in pharmaceutical cuz you know you go to Pfizer and you'd say look Merck just bought it for high throughput screening and then you go to Glaxo and you'd say Pfizer Merck just bought it and and they were you know again this is another good characteristic of oil and gas is they wanted to know what their competitors were doing and they didn't want to you know they didn't want to fall behind but they were, or, you know, also to Tim's point, organizationally, it was more difficult. It, you couldn't, it was a little bit harder to really pinpoint that name on the door, that title on the door that, that would work in every single, in every single company. But we got there. I think, you know, we absolutely got there. It just took a little bit more time. I so want to, uh, the story uh, I remember. I was going to say the story I remember of getting started in, and this was before I actually started the whole Anadarko story was, if I remember right, they called Spotfire. They picked up a couple licenses using an American Express card, and they actually called someone at Spotfire and said, "Hey, you guys should come down and see what we we just did." And then that kind of keyed in on, "Hey, maybe this is a, another you know, industry we should go look up." Is that at all factual, Rock? I, you know, I'm not going to remember the exact details, but but it it is absolutely uh, credible, and and Anadarko was that kind of a company. So they, in fact, Tim, maybe you remember they were using it to to do land acquisitions. That's right. So they were actually so the the and the data set that they showed us, or they supposedly showed us, which again, this was about a month before I get hired was their acquisition of UPR, which is, uh, at the time, sounded like a railroad company, but they had an active oil and gas, right? Mm -hmm. And so they did their analysis and then did it in Spotfire. And what, three weeks sooner, they came up with that UPR was the perfect acquisition candidate. That's the way I remember the story, Rocket. I don't know if you got the same one. No, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't like railroad easements, and they were looking at that kind of information. That's right. And they were deciding where to do land acquisitions. Yeah, and and it was, you know, it was, I mean, Spotfire would do that, right? It would surprise you all the time in terms of where the stuff could, you know, where it could be applied. And we, again, we always knew that. I mean, there was there was no question that it was going to be a broad multi-industry application in and within those industries. It would have, you know, we'd be able to to grow within within a company once we found the place to, you know, to land. And and so there was never any question about that. But then the the point was you had to protect development. You know, you couldn't do a lot of customized, you know, customized coding development. You had to make it configurable. Uh, and, and then you also, and Tim, I know you're going to, you're going to hit me on this one is, you know, we tried to keep the pricing model as, as consistent as we could. And, and oil and gas is the place where we had the most difficulty with the pricing model because the concurrent user pricing was so, you know, was so well established there. 
Yeah, we had trained we had trained the industry, Slumberger and Halliburton, on yep. hey, you buy and you pay concurrent licensing. What is this subscription stuff? We don't understand it. Named users, hell no. <laughs> um, you know, so that was that was one of those things we struggled with just about every single one of those. Jeremy, so in in my career, this is probably about seven years ago with a company that has been sold at this point um, here in Denver. One of, one of my most significant wins is that I actually beat Spotfire head-to-head. But the thing is, even if you beat Spotfire, they still find a way to win. So this RFP was around lease operating statements, show me my AFE estimate versus my, my forecast, and then show me some production versus actual. So really sort of your traditional back office stuff, things that a, a head of, you know, a COO, a CFO, a controller might care about. So it was an RFP and we came in and these guys loved us. But of course, Spotfire being what it is, a couple people in the room were like, yeah, that's cool, but we're going to buy that too. So yeah. yes, I won the deal, but they also won the deal. I'm like, damn it, why can't I just beat them and they don't also win? <laughs> but I think it spoke to the depth of what the application could do that the land group and a geologist and the VP of Exploration is like, yeah, you guys can use the the canned stuff that Jeremy's guys are selling, but we actually see more value in the Spotfire. So we ended up both winning. It just spoke to me that that it had so much depth to the solution um, that they always sort of found a way in. It was it was interesting after the Tibco acquisition, you know, maybe a year into the acquisition, the the CFO of Tibco, unless you had your data in Spotfire, she wouldn't look at it. Wow, he wouldn't believe yeah. it. He said, "Until you put it in Spotfire and present it to me, um, I'm, you know, we're meetings over." You know, so. <laughs> Um, it was, it was, it was interesting. It, they were, you know, they really bought into the, in the finance organization within TIBCO, within the acquiring company. Uh, they really bought deeply into the, into the application. I remember the first time that I heard Spotfire used as a verb uh, <laughs> at EPN. It was at EP Energy in the early days. This is when, before they, right before they got in trouble uh, with the SEC, but on, uh, or on reserves, but the reserves guy was saying, well, let's Spotfire the data. I was like, wow. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. We yep. made that. So, all right, Rock. So enough of that. Let's get on to the fun stuff. So, <laughs> Jeremy, let me let me tell you about my first experience with Spotfire. They, they, they bring me up and, okay, great. They decide to hire me for right or wrong. Go out to Boston. We have a good time in the interviews. I go up for a week of training, go home. Then I go back up one more week of training. And they said, hey, don't come up next week. We're going to go to London for a sales meeting. Oh, so, I, Rock, I, I'm sure you remember that one. Yeah. Right after Christmas, something like that. And – Go to London. It's great. They decide to take the chemical group, which I am a part of, because that's where oil and gas is a subpiece under it at the time. We all go out to eat. David Hadfield was uh, running the show. We go to some Indian restaurant. It was great. We come back to the hotel, and the 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 bar in the hotel is there's a hundred Spotfire guys just all <laughs> down there. And the whole place, the whole if you're staying at that hotel, I felt sorry for those people. It was just completely packed. And then at two in the morning, nothing had changed. Everybody was still there. <laughs> so at eight o'clock in the morning, when the meetings start back up, it's like, you know, most of the guys just came straight from the bar back over to the meeting. So I say all that. It, 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 David Hadfield, the, the VP of sales, defi- des- described it as uh, Spotfire is a drinking company with a software problem. <laughs> But when when we when everybody got together, it was just a blast. It was just one party, you know, can, you know, three days of party, but with a lot of serious work. I think David also talked about serious fun. We're here to have some serious fun. We're going to have a lot of fun, but it's going to be 
you know, work. Anyway, Rock, I, and rarely did I see Rock as part of the parties. He, he, I think he would, he was wise enough to adjourn and let the young dudes go do their thing. But, you know, Rock, do you have any comment on kind of that company culture that was built there? Was that intentional or did it just happen? You, you know, it, it, I mean, it's probably impossible to make it intentional, but it was, it was, it, people just liked each other. You know, it was a fun place. It was, it was not a political place at, at all. Uh, it was very open, um, you know, and, and uh, even when there were disagreements, you know, that, that uh, when a decision was made, everybody sort of, you know, said, okay, that's, that's the way we're going to go. But, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, if I go back to the, you know, these, like our kickoff meetings or our, you know, big annual sales meetings or, uh, they were they were pretty amazing, Jeremy. You'll because of your New England connection. The very first uh, company meeting was held at the Mount Washington Hotel. Ah, in New Hampshire. Yeah, in New Hampshire, and and um, there were about sixty of us then, and and maybe forty from you know from Sweden and twenty that were in the U.S. And we did that on purpose because. To Tim's point, if you if you had it in the city, everybody would just take off, you know, someplace, to, you know, in the evening. We wanted to have a place where everybody had to sort of congregate. But, you know, the Mount Washington Hotel, you know, it's a very traditional, very staid kind of place. Yes. Um, you know, we closed the bar every night. Every single mini bar was empty every single night. So there were <laughs> all the mini bars were empty every night. The, the manager of the hotel came to me at the end of our, we, we had a soccer tournament out on their lawn, you know, which was really helpful yeah. for weddings and all that kind of thing. And we're, you know, Tim, you remember John Ledwith. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know, John was elbowing Christopher, you know, you know, they're playing soccer and, you know, David and I are standing on the sidelines and said, it's interesting to see, to see an application engineer elbowing the, you know, the CEO during a soccer <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, first of all, John Levis is six eight. Yeah, he's a ma- he's massive, full on, yeah. full on athlete. And Chris is no slouch. He is no, an no athlete, uh, kickboxer, the whole bit. So this would yeah. have been a battle. Yeah, no, it was it was very physical. And and at the end of our whatever three or four days, the the hotel manager came up to me and said, "Don't ever come back." <laughs> <laughs> I Let don't you talk- ever don't you ever come back here. Yeah, don't you so, ever come back here? Yeah. So there was uh, so right before I started, there was the famous Puerto Rico meeting, oh, which was before I was there. So it was weird being the new guy at the <laughs> London because this was how you mapped your your at at, at Spotfire. This is how you kind of map which meetings were you a part of because there were stories at all of them, and you were on the out if you didn't know what the blue drinks were from the Puerto Rico meeting right. or right. you know the London meeting if you didn't you know, weren't there for the ordering of the uh, Dom Perignon that were charged to somebody's room or the, or the, the Bahamas meeting, man, that was fantastic. But so we went to, for a sales meeting, mind you, to Miami. So this was a a small portion of the company. So we would have quarterly sales meetings and an annual meeting where pretty much everybody in the company goes to. So the quarterly sales meeting we have in Miami, somebody says, Hey, this was great. Let's put down a deposit for an annual, our annual meeting to be had in some future date. So the way I heard the story was half a million dollars for a deposit on this hotel, Key Biscayne or something like that. Well, anyway, so 
we're about three years later, the dot-com bubble had happened. It's time to start showing revenue. So the big parties were no longer, no longer had the optics of just, hey, let's just go have a party. Yeah. So anyway, the deposit is going to run out on this hotel. So they decided, let's have a sales meeting there instead. So rather than have an annual meeting, let's have the sales meeting. So we all go down there. Somebody let slip, and I don't know who, that there was still $100,000 left of the deposit <laughs> that we had not spent yet on rooms and meals and everything. So it, it got out. And you know, you tell a bunch of sales guys in a meeting like this that there's $100,000 of free money to go use. Oh, man, everything happened. To, everything was getting charged to the room. I remember going to Ed Tobin on the last day, Rock, and saying, hey, Rock, or Ed, have we spent all the deposit? And he just looked at me with you know blurry eyes and said, yeah, don't worry about that. That's We're well past that now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, Rock's still shaking his head. So I, I want to I jump. we got a couple more minutes here before okay. we wrap this thing up. But, Rock, I want to jump to – Wesleyan, because you mentioned something right before this that made my jaw drop. You and Bill Belichick were in the same graduating class. Is that what I heard? Yeah, we, were, we graduated in 75, yeah, together. Did you have any classes together? Were you in the same dorm? I know Wesleyan's not a big school. He, he was a uh, – uh, we were both in fraternities. I was Delta Tau. He was Kai Sai. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a small school, so, we, you know, everybody knows each other. We would we, we still, you know, run into each other at the – reunions and such and uh nice. he's he's pretty much as he as he shows himself so <laughs> it's not an act no it's not an act though but he, but no look we it was uh it was a great experience i mean you know going to college in the in the 70s was a was a thing in in itself uh, i bet yeah and and wesley and i've actually I applied early there. I got waitlisted. Then I got denied. I wish I knew you, Rock. Maybe you could have helped me. But yeah. uh, Brandeis worked out just fine for me. But really beautiful campus kind of in the middle of uh, Connecticut. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, it's, it's terrific. So, yeah. Rock, I guess you, know, you stuck around. I left in 2008 to go do whatever I was going to go do. But you stuck around to what? I think 2014 or so. So yes. you were there almost as much time with Tibco as without. What was it, you know, what was it like, you know, uh, you know, after Tibco acquisition versus before, and you know, in the your last days there, you know, what was kind of this, what was Spotfire like? Well, it, I, you know, to be honest, it became the most valuable asset that Tibco had, and 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 so as it developed and grew within Tibco, uh, you know, the investment bankers were valuing Spotfire at a, at a higher you know premium than even the the Tibco infrastructure products. And, and so it, you know, it was a tremendous success. I mean, Murray, you know, Murray Road, who was the CFO and the COO, and then ultimately the CEO there had always touted that this was, you know, one of the most su successful acquisitions that they'd ever had. Um, wow. That for sure, it was the most successful. And so in my, in my last couple years there, I mean, I ended up doing, uh, actually helping with those acquisitions in the, you know, with the M&A group and sort of trying to do what we could to, to replicate that model for, for other technologies that came into TIBCO. You know, the wow. disappointing thing I, I would say about the acquisition is that, the, you know, the sales organizations never gelled the way that they should have. And the, you know, the technologies, you know, they were reluctant to really make a, the big investment in, in bringing a couple of the technologies together. 
I think they've done a much better job of that since 2014. They've, you know, I think they've finally gotten around to that, but there were, there were opportunities to do that stuff earlier on that we should have you know, taken more advantage of. Um, but, but, you know, all in all that there's absolutely no question that it was the, um, the star of the show within the Tipco portfolio. Doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So what have you been doing since, uh, since Tipco? I, I, we talked before, but you kind of escaped COVID off to the Cape, but you know, what's, what's going on in your life now? You know, I, I've, uh, sort of, you know, contemplated going back and doing, I mean, you, you know, Tim, that I, I've. I spent some time as a professional surgical patient, you know, so I've had, I've had a bunch, <laughs> of, uh, um, I've had four back surgeries, three hips and two knees. And, and, uh, you know, so that's the sort of, you know, held me back from going back any kind of full-time position in this, but I, you know, I've done some, uh, some consulting work. I'm actually involved in an affordable housing project right now. And, uh, um, you know, just doing some things to, uh, um, not not really serious about going back to any kind of a full full time gig though. So, well, hey, one pretty cool. I, I want to mention one thing. Just that if I could insert that I didn't get a chance to insert uh, in as we were talking about oil and gas, and and that is that people liked him. The domain experts that we that we had in each of the industries were absolutely the backbone of this. There's no way that we do any of this. Uh, unless we have that expertise, you know, on, there on, you know, with the customer on the ground that can really sort of translate what this, you know, really fantastic generic technology could do for them. So a key part of the strategy in no matter what the industry was, was to find those domain experts like Tim and, and sort of, you know, follow them uh, to where, where they thought the, you know, the best place was for us to go. So uh, I just want to emphasize that that was absolutely part of the formula here. Look at you, Tim. You're you're the one usually bragging on other people, but it just happened to you. I I agree. It's because actually when I was introduced to Spotfire, it struck me as, man, these guys really know oil and gas. Do they do stuff outside of oil and gas? It's well, yeah. This is a multi-billion-dollar corporation, international, you know, Fortune 200. Um, but that that domain knowledge um, has carried through. I think even to today. Yeah, it's critical. So right on. I think we'll cut it there. Tim, you want to uh, give a parting yeah, shot? Rock, I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on. I've wanted to do this episode in one form or another for quite a while. And it's, it's a lot of fun to just hear your voice. Uh, you know, I know you talked about your surgeries, but I remember we'd go out and we, the two of us would be working out early in the mornings and he's, he's just trying to stretch his back and, you know, I'm trying to get this thing on the front of me off. Uh, you know, but, you know, so we, we, we had some moments in the, in the weight rooms of all these hotels when everyone else is sleeping off a hangover, but I really can't thank you enough for, for coming on and we're telling the old stories and we'll, we'll need to do some more of this. I think. Hey, it's my pleasure to, to do it and happy to always reminisce about those great times. So, and Tim, you know, next time you and I go to Boston, we're stopping by rocks before we hit Fenway park. Oh, absolutely. There you go. Thank you.